Well, the current COVID-19 pandemic has uh, left many separated, many families separated, uh, many unable to gather um, with uh, family members. But for others, it's afforded us uh, some increased time with our families. Uh, many businesses are closed. Many employees are working from home. Moms and dads are homeschooling their children. It truly is a strange and tense time for many, not least of which are families. We anxiously await life to return to normal, but in the waiting, we have a tremendous opportunity to grow uh, as a family. Now, notice I didn't say to, to grow our families. Uh, there's much speculation uh, right now about a potential baby boom at the end of this quarantine. Many folks are even already suggesting names for this new generation of uh, folks that may show up in about nine months from now, and some are saying uh, things like the, the coronials, uh, the quarantines, baby zoomers are all at the top of the list, but uh, I'll be honest, I'm with whoever said if there's going to be a baby boom at the end of this, it's going to be a baby boom of firstborns. Uh, but if that is you, uh, more power to you. But one thing I've noticed, and I'm, I'm sure many have noticed who have kids at home, is that raising and leading uh, and living with a family unit all under one roof most of the time is, is tough. It, it's challenging. And so what I want us to do over the next few weeks is I want us to continue pressing the pause button uh, on our study in the book of Exodus and lean into a new message series on family. Now, I grew up watching uh, Family Matters, an American sitcom uh, that aired from 1989 to 1998 as part of TGIF on ABC television. And this particular series, you may remember, revolved around the Winslow family, uh, a hard-working African-American family uh, with three kids, an aunt, a nephew, a grandmother, all living in Chicago under one roof, dealing with everyday family dynamics and constant interruptions from their nerdy next-door neighbor, uh, Steve Urkel, who quickly became the central character and figure uh, of the show. Now, of course, family uh, family matters and other television series exaggerate in order to make a point uh, or to gain an audience or to provide humor. But even so, every family can relate to the challenges of loving and living under one roof with multiple personalities and perspectives. Uh, living alongside others is often difficult, but it's also part of, of, of God's good plan. And so for us to see that, uh, to consider that today and over the coming weeks, I want us to look at his word. And, and, and in order to do that today, I want us to go to the beginning of his word, to go to the, the very first book of the Bible, in fact, the first chapter of the first book, uh, and to see what God has to say to us about being human and what he has to say to us about being part of human family. So let me invite you to hear from God's word, to look at his word together with me. I want to read today from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 uh, through 31. Next week, we'll look at a portion of, of Genesis chapter 2. But what's going on here? We have in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, two complementary accounts uh, of creation. And so in Genesis 1, we have the various days of creation where God uh, creates. He, he brings order and life. He, he, he speaks and, and there's light. Uh, he separates the water above from the water below. He separates the land from the sea. Uh, he, he provides uh, living creatures to, to swarm the seas and birds to fly in the sky. And then we come to the sixth day and he provides, uh, he creates creatures. 
that move along the ground. And then he creates the crown of his creation, uh, mankind. He creates human beings. Uh, Verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1, I'll begin reading. It reads this way. The Bible says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. I want us to hear a couple of truths, uh, principles from God's word here before we even consider uh, implications for family relationships. And the first is this, as image bearers of God, we are valuable to God. As image bearers of God, we are valuable to God. I think we need to hear this today. We need to hear this today. In uh, a day of a global pandemic that has that has taken more than 125,000 lives already, uh, we need to hear that human life is valuable to God. We need to hear again that life comes from God and is sustained by God and that each life, each and every life, is precious to God. The creation account, the Bible is clear that To be human is to be distinct. It is to be different from the rest of God's creation. You see, finally, after God creates order and fullness, and much of this creation account um, details that, it it reminds us that God is a God of intentionality and design and order, that he is sovereign over all of these affairs. But after God creates order and fullness, God makes the crown of his creation. He creates human life to enjoy and to rule the world as the only creatures who are made in God's image. Genesis 1, 26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. What's been called the divine let us is used here. Then God said, let us make mankind. Probably a veiled early reference to the Trinitarian nature of, of God, that he is one God, he's Father, Son, and, and Holy Spirit. He's, he's perfectly united, uh, three, three persons, one God, uh, co-eternal, co-equal. Um, uh, he, he alone is God, uh, and he is harmonious within the Godhead. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together saying, let us make mankind in our image. It's clear in the Genesis creation account that something special is happening here. Something unique, something different from what God has already done in creation. This is repeated for emphasis in the very next verse, verse 27. So God 
created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Nothing else in all of creation is made in God's image. And in the next chapter, Genesis chapter 2, a complementary account of creation, God breathes the breath of life, Genesis 2-7, into the first human. And it's been noted that that word for breath, he he breathes the, the breath of life into the first human. That word for breath is only used in the Bible to refer to life from God uh, and to the life that he gives to people in contrast to to animals. And, and Paul, the apostle, picks up on this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He's talking about our resurrected bodies, the victory that, that Christ has brought uh, for us and to us and his resurrection from the dead. He's talking about the spiritual life that we have that goes beyond this earthly life, that we are living beings. Uh, he, he's referencing Genesis 2, uh, 7, that we are living beings with a spiritual life through Christ that extends beyond um, beyond this life, uh, physical life here on earth, here and now. Now to be clear, uh, this image uh, of God that we are made in has been marred uh, or injured as a result of the fall of humanity, uh, meaning that in our rebellion against God, in our disobedience to God, in our, our disregard for Him, every part of our being has been affected by sin. But the image of God has not been completely lost through sin. In other words, it's not been completely destroyed as a result of sin. The scriptures still speak even post-fall of human life, even sinful humans, as sacred precisely because we are made in God's image. Uh, to give you an example, Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, God is speaking, and he's uh, speaking to Noah after the flood. And he says to Noah, he says, Whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. In other words, he's saying that that human life is valuable, that it is precious, that that it should not be flippantly taken, that it should not be unjustly taken, that those that take human life will be held responsible because life is precious in in God's sight. The Bible is clear that we are set apart. After each day in the creation account, the Bible says, uh, and God saw that it was good. And we see this over and over again in the days of creation in Genesis chapter 1. You can't miss it. And God saw that it was good. And God saw that it was good. And God saw that it was good. And then you come to verse 31, and and you you can't miss it. After the sixth day of creation, the day on which he makes humanity, uh, the Bible says, and God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. It was very good. So what does it mean? that we are made in God's, in God's image. Well, we're not going to solve that uh, debate today. Scholars and interpreters have debated this for centuries. But let me give you uh, a few things that I think perhaps um, it means. First, I think it means that like God, we possess various attributes of personality. Now, sometimes we, we hear someone say, my dog... Uh, has a personality of his own. And, and we know what is meant by that, that uh, that particular pet or dog or cat or whatever is, is unique. It's, it's different. It's not, unlike, it's not like every other dog or cat. It, it's, it's unique. It's in that particular way. It, it acts uh, a particular way, in a way that it wants to act. 
But a dog or a plant or any other created matter does not reason as we do. It does not love as we do. It does not worship as we do. The kind of personality that a pet has is not the same as what a person possesses. I don't think I have to convince you of that. So personality. Second, being made in the image of God speaks to our morality. That as people, as as humans, as men and women, we have a moral obligation and responsibility to God, uh, unlike the rest of creation. Uh, Third, being made in the image of God implies spirituality. So personality, morality, spirituality. In other words, we were made to commune with our maker. We were we, we were made for a relationship with him. We were made to know him and to enjoy him forever and ever. God is spirit, and he has made us with an eternal spirit to know and to commune with him. And then finally, uh, I think being made in God's image implies a representative role in creation. We call this dominion. We, we heard this earlier from Psalm 8. We see it here in Genesis 1. Verse 26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Why? So that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. We are God's representatives on earth, his, his vice regents, you might say, responsible for caring for creation and ruling over the rest of his creatures. As image bearers, we are valuable to God. We're valuable to God. So when it comes to to being quarantined with your family, might we begin by treating one another as image bearers of God? Might we begin by, by noticing and valuing one another in the way that God values each of us as image bearers of God? I, I, um, I tried that this uh, week, or I suggested that this week when a couple of my kids were fighting. I said, hey, uh, be nice to your brother. He's made in the image of God. Uh, to which I got a somewhat confused and strange look, but I think she understood. In fact, I, I think he even understood just a bit. Sort of. So let's love one another. Let's love one another, church, as image bearers of God. When I speak at at weddings, I often read from Colossians chapter 3. And Colossians is a a New Testament uh, letter uh, that Paul wrote to the church in the first century uh, at Colossae. And there are a number of New Testament letters, often called epistles, and these epistles uh, sometimes address a particular segment of folks living somewhere. Sometimes they're addressed specifically to an individual, or even within the letter, uh, there may be some instructions or admonition or correction that's given for someone in a local uh, a local church. But these letters, on the whole, uh, are meant to be read in totality to an entire congregation. And so, in Colossians chapter three. Uh, Paul gives instructions for the whole church. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, in other words, as, as people of faith, as people that God has granted new life to, 
people who are who are loved by God and called as his own. Paul says, as God's people, clothe yourself or, or put on these things. Act this way. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. He says, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. He says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. When I speak at weddings, I'll often read at least that far, often a bit further, but I'll preface that by saying that these are general instructions for all believers, for all Christians. In other words, for those who've been saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus, those who who have turned to Jesus as Savior and Lord, who bow before him. But even so, even though these instructions are for all of us in in a body of Christ, all of those who have come to faith in Jesus, uh, there is no more important place to adhere to them than in the covenant of marriage between a husband and a wife. You see, marriage and family are the most basic training ground for character development and growth in Jesus. Now, I think this is why the Holy Spirit leads Paul the Apostle to, to include faithfulness in the family and proper management of one's household as necessary qualifications uh, for leadership in the local church. You see, our character is often most tested by those living under the same roof. I told David earlier this week, I said, I can't preach on marriage. I said, every time I, I, I preach or, or teach on marriage, I realize what a failure of a husband I am. So, honey, I'm sorry. Actually, I'm, I'm sorry for, for not always treating you as an image bearer of God. You know, Scripture ought to do that to us. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God in this way to expose our our failures, to remind us of uh, our unrighteousness, our our inability to measure up and to live according to God's good standard. And when when the Spirit leads us in that way, the kindness of God lead us to repent and turn to Him and walk according to His Word. So church, do you love those in your home as image bearers of God? Are you loving those in your family as image bearers of the Most High God, the one who, who fashioned each of us together, the one to whom we, allo- we owe our allegiance and our existence? Can you, imagine, can you imagine the Christ-like development and growth in us and our children if we loved one another as image bearers of God? that was the case, we'd be quick to acknowledge failures and ask for forgiveness. We'd be quick to to lay aside personal interest uh, and sacrifice personal pursuits for the good of the others. We'd readily imitate Jesus and strive to to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, we'd consider others better than ourselves. Not, Not looking to our own interests, but looking to the interest of the others. And this starts in the family. In fact, I remember preparing for a funeral uh, just a few years ago after a a dear church uh, member had died. And I I remember visiting with this family who who suddenly lost a loved one. 
uh, Jerry Barnes, uh, a faithful member of, of this church family. Many of you Meadowbrook folks will uh, remember uh, Jerry, but I remember in the course of the conversation with the family um, as Judson, one of Jerry's boys, talked about his father, Jerry, uh, I remember it struck me just how well uh, Jerry loved his wife, Judy, and their two boys. And Judson shared that uh, when they were growing up, his father began to take an interest in the things that they were interested in just so he could contribute to their enjoyment of those things in a greater way. In other words, if the Barnes boys uh, took up an interest in cars, suddenly Father Jerry had an interest in cars. If, if the Barnes boys uh, took an interest in kayaking, suddenly Father Jerry um, took an interest in kayaking. Uh, that's looking to the interest of others. That's loving one's family as if they are image bearers and gifts from God. You know, the Bible's clear on this. The Bible is clear in Genesis and elsewhere as image bearers of God, we are valuable to God, all of us, every single human being. So let's treat one another that way, beginning with our own families. But even though we are valuable to God, we're not all the same. Equal does not necessarily mean same. The Bible states in verse 27 of Genesis chapter 1, Male and female, he created them. Male and female was God's idea. This this was God's plan. It is God's plan. And even though we are different in this way, the scriptures declare that neither is greater or more in God's image than the other. God made men and women with equal dignity. He made us with equal dignity. Verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So God created a a gendered humanity, and both genders of the human race were made in his image. And then verse 28, God blessed them, and he said to them, both of them, male and female, he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Now, you parents know this by now, but there's no children's church today, so I'm going to be sensitive uh, to that. Uh, In fact, one of the things that I've learned uh, over the last few weeks is that my own kids listen to me about as well on TV uh, as they do in person in the church building. Uh, Not really that well. In fact, the first Sunday that we were having church this way as a family, we were uh, participating just like the rest of you, and we were uh, watching uh, and worshiping together. And shortly after the, the sermon uh, began, uh, both my boys had toys in their hands, and they were circling the coffee table in the living room. And when I told them to, to, to be quiet and pay attention, my five-year-old turned to me and whispered, uh, Daddy, I'm in Clubhouse. Uh, and for those that don't know, Clubhouse is our preschool-aged uh, worship care option uh, during the worship service on Sunday morning. Now, there's no organized uh, clubhouse today, and given that if there is, it's probably right there with you, near you in your living room. So I want to be sensitive to young ears and simply say that we know what God meant when he said to Adam and Eve, 
be fruitful and increase in number. In other words, God is saying this is how the human race will establish dominion over the rest of creation, by increasing in number and filling the earth. In other words, procreation and all that that entails is God's idea. We didn't make this stuff up. We didn't invent it. God did as a gift and a sign of his goodness, male and female. We are different, but both image bearers of God and given equal dignity in the eyes of God. So let's value both genders, value both genders. You might think this Ought to go without even saying today, but, but I think we need to hear this. Let's not be a people who improperly elevate or diminish the value of our own or the opposite sex. There are all sorts of implications for this, from how employers hire and pay, to how husbands speak to their wives, to how parents value their children, to how women manipulate men and how men objectify women. God made men and women with equal dignity, so we must regard one another that way. Now next week, we'll talk a bit more about what it means that God created male and female as we look at God's design for marriage as established in Genesis chapter 2. So no, that's where we're going. Over the next few weeks, I want us to look at selected passages of Scripture, of, of God's Word, and consider God's design for marriage and for family. But I want to pause and say that this is not just um, a series for families. Uh, this is not a time or a subject that singles or divorcees or, or, or widows and, and children should, should, should simply tune out. Uh, married or single, teenager or senior adult, you are valuable to the Almighty God. He, he loves you so much that He sent His perfect Son to be your Savior, to be my Savior, to be our Savior, to deliver us from bondage to sin, to restore His marred image in us, and to welcome us into His perfect and permanent family as the Father's adopted children and part of the cherished bride of Jesus Christ. And we love Him. We love Him because He has loved us first. And part of loving him is learning his word and believing his truth and praying that his people walk according to it. So in a day when marriage is often belittled and profaned and in a time when the function and value of of families is often ignored, let's hear God say to us, family matters. Family matters. And because family matters to God, let's spend quarantine 2020 loving our families as image bearers of God. Fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters, husbands and wives, love one another as image bearers of God. Let's love one another as image bearers of God. In this way, let's represent our Lord on earth. Let's be known, as our Lord said we would be known, by our love for one another and that most certainly must include members of our own family. And pray. Let's be a people who pray and who pray together in the home. Let's be a people who pray together as families, 
as husbands and wives. Let's, let's pray. Maybe this means praying over the phone with extended family. Let, let's pray with our families. In fact, one day this past week, I was at the office working and I received a text, uh, this text, in fact, from uh, my wife. It read this way. It said, I just prayed over our food. Uh, and it was a little longer than most of the time. Paxton, who is our five-year-old, uh, had some prayer requests I had to add, and the kids have been fighting, so I added some about that. And then Kinsley, our, our nine-year-old daughter, said immediately after the prayer, uh, you've turned into daddy. I asked what she meant, and she said, long prayers. So maybe family prayers don't need to be too long. Maybe they don't need to be very long, at least not when our kids are little, but let's be a people who pray and who pray together. Let's be a people who, who pray that that God would do a transformative work in our families. Let's be a people who pray in such a way that shows that we submit to him and that we trust him. In church, one of the greatest ministries that all of us can have, whether or not we're part of a large family living together at this time or on our own in isolation, one of the greatest ministries that all of us can have is to pray for one another, to pray for families in our church. So let's pray for families in our church. Pray for families in your church. Pray for them by name. Uh, Pray that marriages would be filled with forgiveness and grace. Uh, Pray that parents would teach their children about Jesus Christ our Savior. Pray that families would commit to church together. Pray for unbelieving spouses and rebellious children and single parents. Let's be a people who pray that the Spirit of the living God would do a Genesis chapter 50 verse 20 kind of work, a Romans chapter 8 verse 28 kind of transformative work among families in the church during the dark and difficult days of COVID-19. Friends, God is at work. He is at work today. He has never stopped working. He still sits on his throne. He is sovereign and he is our savior. He does not slumber. He does not sleep. He is good. He is at work. He's at work in many ways. And one of the ways that he is at work today is in our families. So let's trust him. Let's see his hand. Let's acknowledge his goodness and his presence and his provision. And let's turn to him. And let's give him praise. So let me invite you to do that today. Invite you today to praise this one who is with us, who loves us, who calls us his own, who invites us to know him, to praise him now, to praise him in your hearts, to praise him with your lips, to sing his praises, to lay your life before him, to acknowledge his goodness and his grace, to bow before him as king and as savior. Father, we pray that you would hear our praise now. Uh, Lord, that you would lead us now, even now, uh, Lord, to sing your praises, to exalt your name, to lay our lives before you, to display trust and confidence in you. Lord, lead us to see your hand at work in our lives. Father, we pray that, that you would do a transformative work in families today, certainly families that are part of Meadowbrook Baptist Church. Lord, in marriages and in husbands and in wives, draw, draw husbands and wives near to each other. Father, we pray for, for families with, with children, Lord, that the parents and children would be drawn near to each other and, and near to you. Father, do a work that can only be attributed to you and lead us to praise you for your hand, for your faithfulness, for your goodness, your mercy, your kindness, your provision for us today. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.
Amen.